and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown and this is the podcast that reveals the world of classical music from all angles with the members and friends of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In today's episode, we'll be asking what role technology plays in the orchestra and in music generally. How can different technologies help people perform music, learn and what can it bring to performances? I'm joined by cellist Elizabeth Vicklander and Dav Scheel, project manager and associate musician at Drake Music and a drummer too. Great to have you back on the podcast, Elizabeth, and welcome, Dav. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, technology. What do we mean today when it comes to technology in the orchestra, Elizabeth? I think today we can probably mean almost anything. We can enhance visuals, sounds, uh, we can uh, have light, we can bring orchestras out of the concert hall if we want and put them somewhere unconventional. For example, I joined a project up in Stockholm where they put a whole symphony orchestra under a big viaduct, under a big bridge with a motorway (laughs) with lots of sounds from the motorway. But we had a very skilled sound technician who could bring uh, the levels up on all the different instruments. It actually sounded like an acoustic set and uh, the whole orchestra could be heard in a very challenging circumstance and that way also be reached out to people who would normally not go to a conventional concert house and lots of children and younger people. So that was really amazing. You've already blown my mind, Elizabeth, actually, because when I when I was thinking about technology and music, you know, straight away, I think about production, sound. And then when you think of an orchestra, you don't necessarily think of manipulating sound or even amplifying the instruments individually. But then, yes, when you bring in visuals, you bring in lighting, you bring in changing locations and sound engineering. Yeah. This is going to be a great podcast. You've already set the scene wonderfully. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) And Dav, what place does technology have in the orchestra and in music furthermore. I was thinking about this in the sense that in a way technology has always had a really central role in orchestras because if you think this might sound silly but when the piano was first invented it would have been the height of technology at that time and it would have been incorporated into orchestral music in a in a probably a really exciting new way and that was kind of the height of technology then and now we have orchestras like Para Orchestra and the National Open Youth Orchestra, and they're incorporating eye gaze musical instruments and various other kind of really modern technologies into like a really mainstream kind of orchestra setting. And then you've got Bournemouth, you know, Bournemouth uh, Symphony Orchestra, they did one of the proms where they had an ensemble of disabled musicians using a lot of different technology and um, their conductor was using a a kind of head-mounted baton, a conducting baton, because, you know, that was the easiest way for him to access a conductor's baton. And that was, that blew my mind. We've all just had a go on the podcast right now. All of our heads started moving and (laughs) conducting in a way. (laughs) It feels quite natural. It does feel quite natural. And so, Dad, what is eye gaze technology when it comes to its use in music? Eye gaze technology involves having a tablet or an iPad and someone can just look at different parts of the screen and play different notes or chords just by by looking at a certain area of a screen. So I've tried it and it's actually really hard and quite tiring. And so it is a real skill to be able to focus on on different parts of the screen in a really accurate way. And it's being used a lot now in orchestras, which is brilliant. 
So a lot of uh, positives for technology, just in our first answers there. Dav, I just want to come back onto your job role at Drake Music, project manager and associate musician. What does your job entail? When it comes to Orclab, I do lots of different things. I sort of co-lead the workshops and help to plan them. But yeah, Drake Music kind of, we work at the intersection of, of music, technology and, and disability, and we try and use technology to remove disabling barriers that the people might have to access in music in, in a variety of ways, whether they just want to develop their music career or if they want to learn a particular instrument and it's not very accessible, then we'll try and figure out a way to do that. But um, I suppose my role is, is quite all over the place, <laughs> but I, I like it that way. <laughs> it's good. No two days are the same. And you, you spoke there about Orclab. So that's the collaboration between Drake Music and the LPO. Can you tell me a bit more about that project? Yeah, I mean, Orclab is a real multi-tentacled kind of behemoth of a project. It's a partnership between Drake Music and the London Philharmonic Orchestra, and it's uh, made possible by our long-term corporate supporter, JTI. And it's been running for a few years now. We're just starting to plan the next three years, which is really exciting. The main aim is to make music making more accessible for disabled people, adults that we're working with in and around London. The heart of this are the Orclab music workshops that I get to work with the wonderful Elizabeth on, although not so much recently, sadly, but hopefully you'll come back to us. <laughs> uh, maternity leave does, does do that, but hopefully it's not forever, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we miss you, but. Thank yeah. you, I miss uh, you too. <laughs> we're good, uh, it's a good bunch, it's a fantastic team. It is, isn't it? Yeah, we're, uh, I, I often feel really lucky on this project because we'll be in a centre on a Monday morning and I'm a bit bleary-eyed and sleepy, setting up lots of iPads and sound and a sound beam or something, and then I'll just hear Elizabeth or, or Anne <laughs> from the orchestra warming up and it and I just feel so lucky to be oh. sitting in a room with one of the best musicians in the world well, and I'm just kind of... pretty amazing too I mean what you bring to these sessions is it never ceases to astound me and you always come in bringing new things that you've invented you know from one time to the next and uh, always developing and always extending accessibility with such a range of imagination it's um, fantastic always such a good vibe in there it's lovely coming into to or club i've done a lot of or club and every single time there's always a good good vibe i hope to be there soon <laughs> to be in a session too now can you take me through it a bit elizabeth what's your role as a musician from the lpo in or club so in our club, uh, we are normally a handful of musicians, maybe uh, two, three, four people from the orchestra who together join these uh, workshops to deliver a live music on our instruments mm. and to take part and be like uh, interwoven into this whole idea of acoustic instruments and technology and in this whole setting of, of inclusivity. These uh, sessions are based upon an idea from uh, one of the LPO recordings from a piece of music. And we will elaborate around that music and uh, develop it in some sort of like a narrative with different sections where we do different things that are related to the different themes of the music. Normally we would then be there with our instruments to engage, to show and to take part in the whole thing. And is it then recording, Dev? Are you recording the instruments or what is the product that comes out of the session? Yeah, we do record some things. We'll maybe sample the LPO players onto a, a music app that people can then trigger certain parts of their sounds. Or, But I think a lot of the time it's more about the process than 
than any sort of big product. And it's just about kind of creating something together on a very level playing field where you've got a group of disabled musicians, you've got a group of LPO musicians and co-creating something. So creating a, a musical experience, some of the disabled musicians might be on iPads, but playing alongside these acoustic instruments and musicians from the LPO. Exactly. Yeah, that's the kind, that's what we're going for. <laughs> All playing together on equal terms. It's a great feeling. Yeah. yeah. And just sort of create a sense of any contribution is valid and that we'll create something together no matter what people bring. It's not about becoming the sort of the best you can at a particular instrument or something. It's about working together and creating something. My co-music workshop leader, John Webb, he always writes these amazing hello songs, which will use the melody from oh. a famous piece of classical music, but will involve singing hello to everyone. And <laughs> I think it was Arno, maybe Elizabeth, you've said this before, that now you can't listen to that piece of music anymore without hearing the hello song. <laughs> I noticed of... when I was out doing my jogging that for every step I took, I was doing it in, in, in time on these songs. <laughs> just couldn't get rid of them. Oh, I love that. And it just shows the impact that it that it really has. Well, it's, it's so great to hear sort of technology having that really collaborative impact and really extending the possibilities of music making, which always is, in my book, a fantastic discovery to have. So wonderful work from you and the team, Dav. Taking it back to the orchestra a little bit, how about iPads? I went to see an orchestra recently and I could see some musicians were reading the scores from their iPads and you see it quite a lot now uh, with musicians and accompaniments. Has that taken over the LPO yet? iPads instead of the sheet music, Elizabeth? Well, I've been gone for nearly a year now uh, with my maternity leave. Well, when so you get back, I, I'm, I'm be sure floating. a lot, <laughs> lot could have happened in my absence. When I left, though, there were a few iPads there. They hadn't taken over the orchestra yet, though. As for me, I, I'm a very, I'm a very traditional person. I, uh, I don't mind them. I might have one myself later on. I mean, I, I do see the many pros uh, to, you know, that it brings in terms of having everything in one place and not carrying everything around in your bag and being able to make notes and it's all, you know, spreads to everything. Just to have everything at your fingertips like that, of course, that's, that is um, a tempting thing to go for. However, I uh, I don't know. I just, I practiced so much on my page turns. I I went to this <laughs> orchestra academy in the Royal Kosekaba Orchestra and uh, I had, I can write a whole paper on page turning. <laughs> I spent so many hours trying really to be a, a really good page turner and uh, a very sophisticated and quick page turner. So for me, the whole, of course, it's a great thing that if, if you don't have to page turn, but for me, I've got, when you've invested so much time in the skill of page turning, it's a little bit, oh, I can't do that anymore then. It's both things. Everything's got pros and cons. And uh, of course, the whole thing with technology is also like we were chatting a little bit before this podcast that it's great when it works, but when it doesn't, it can be quite catastrophic. Oh, I tend to like and rely on something physical, something I can see, touch and smell, <laughs> something I can hold in my hands. I'm the same with books. I'm not one. I, I have so many books and I love to read books and I still carry them like a you know I have like bricks in a bag and I don't know why I do that when I know I can have them all on, on, a, on a, a technological device but well I guess that's stubbornness for you. 
Well, no, it's and it is a skill, the whole page turning, working with your desk partner to make sure that, you know, you're in sync together. It is a skill. But it is fascinating to watch one orchestra. I saw the principal violinist had it and also had a pedal and was literally turning the pages with his foot. And actually, that's a whole new skill because you're almost a drummer. It's really fascinating to watch. During the pandemic, when we did these um, camera recordings of our performances, we had a very dark setting with very cool lights and smoke and stuff like that. It looked really, really great. But then also when you do a camera shot across the orchestra, because you have this glare from the iPad, you know, sometimes it could be that someone's face lits up <laughs> amongst everyone oh else <laughs> because they have a different light on their on their face. So I guess maybe sometimes if you're doing visual also, maybe you need to consider these things. There was a lovely story about, you know, getting a, a piece of sheet music, a piece of music that hadn't been played for a long time and still having sort of the pencil markings from the person that was previously in in your seat, you know, or had played in the orchestra before and you've got a bit of history. Oh, Dav, how about you when, when you're playing uh, and performing? Do you use an iPad now? I mean, you work with iPads every day. I mean, I don't really use music scores that much anyway, but I totally agree with both of you that having that physical paper is just so much nicer. Yeah, I can see the value in it. Although in Orclab workshops, we've discovered that technology does often go wrong. So <laughs> if your iPad dies halfway through performance or something, that's, that's not going to be good. But I could see from an accessibility point of view, the benefit, especially Yolanda, when you mentioned the foot pedal, you know, for someone who has limited mobility, in the, but they can move through their score with a foot pedal, that's, that could be amazing and open up so many opportunities for people. And also in terms of light, that you can control the brightness, because a lot of people in the orchestra, we normally have very different needs in terms of lightning. So that's always been an issue. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and maybe for people who are colorblind as well, you could have colorblind friendly sort of, I mean, actually, when I say that now, that doesn't sound too, <laughs> too relevant because... Music scores don't involve a lot of colour, do they? Well, actually, you, you say that, but uh, it, the fact is that using colours, I mean, for many people are actually visual thinkers where colour schemes would be a better way to uh, convey information than the traditional way of just black and white. And I, yeah. I actually took part in a project um, it's called Digital Scores. It's a worldwide investigation of how technology can change the conventional music score. And it's, it's a huge uh, undertaking funded by the uh, European Research Council. And it's led by uh, Professor Craig uh, Veer. And I took part in a case study that was part of this with four neurodivergent or orally, orally different individuals. In this project, I was actually playing from a score that was only graphics and colours and very suggestive instructions as well. And I realised that I've never been a good improviser. I always felt very limited and constrained when it comes to improvising. But actually using colours, for me, just let loose something that I've never experienced before. That just shows there's a whole other pool of way of reading music and, and, and conveying information to people who actually would prefer using colours in this sense that could open up a whole new uh, feeling and, and talent and uh, ability, actually, by doing so. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a relevant point, Dav. 
It really is. And that's a really fascinating project. I do think in colours when improvising or when playing music, it starts off with a palette and then, you know, when improvising, it goes off into different colours. And I've always found it very difficult to explain, but I like how you put that into, into words. I'm it was super interesting. We were using that, these um, EEG, uh, the Emotive Insight EEG Brain Readers. It was basically a set of neural controlled musical works. So actually the music was controlled by someone's brain. And then you could create a score in real time that you can play from that way. It was really, really interesting. We were all collecting sounds that we recorded and we used this six different performance metrics to see uh, which kind of sounds would spark a particular uh, high emotion in us. And we would use the top once and create our music worlds and then align them together. That's why our project was called Digital Syzygies. Uh, Syzygy is an alignment of entities used, I think, in both psychology and in astronomy. You can listen to the results of this at uh, digitalsyzygies.org.uk. And it was led by Professor Andrew Hugill, who is both autistic and orally different. Uh, it, it was a really, really interesting project, and I hope that we're going to continue uh, to explore. Sounds phenomenal. Score for technology. And of course, this is a technology podcast, and we are on Zoom at the moment. Elizabeth, where are you? I'm in Sweden at the moment, west coast of Sweden. Sweden. Yes. And Dav, where are you? I'm in Hackney in East London. <laughs> Fantastic. And I'm in Essex. And together we're here on a podcast. So it's amazing. You know, the first couple of series of LPO Offstage was done in lockdown and we were able to still speak with each other, share our thoughts, share our experiences. And uh, so technology has been amazing. And I've spoken to a lot of musicians who started teaching on Zoom as well. So we spoke about streaming concerts. But what about teaching? Elizabeth, do you teach? I have taught a little bit uh, on Zoom. My experience of it has been very positive, actually, especially since Zoom also developed and became better for, in terms of sound. It's definitely opened up a lot of uh, possibilities. And though, of course, technology, I think, can never truly replace uh, human interaction. And of course, the energy that you have between two bodies in a room or between an orchestra and an audience, that, that electrical uh, energy that you find in a room, of course, you can never really feel that when you're looking at a screen and you're sitting alone in your room. But in terms of, you know, having to hire, for example, a really uh, ex expensive location to teach, you can maybe do it once a month instead of every week and you can fill out with remote teaching in between. As we were just saying, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, which opens up incredible possibilities. Dav, what happened with Drake Music during lockdown? Were you able to continue some work through Zoom or through video calling? Yeah, we took Club onto Zoom, actually, as well as some other sort of inclusive music <laughs> projects. Like Elizabeth said, you, you can't really replace the feeling of being in a room together and the vibrations of the instruments and, and the little communications that go on between people. You just can't replace that on Zoom. But it meant that we could keep going, which was great. It did work well. We realised pretty quickly that you couldn't really do anything that had a pulse. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think now there is technology that allows people to work remotely without any lag at all. So you can actually perform together from four different places in the world and you're all in time with each other, which blows my mind. But um, we couldn't do that. So we definitely moved more towards creating soundscapes and things that were a bit more kind of loose, but it was still really great. Yeah, I mean, it didn't work for everyone. It wasn't Oak Club, but it was, it was a project where I was working with uh, 
a young autistic boy and his mum, they were on their laptop at home. And every time we start the session, the boy would just walk over to the laptop and just close the lid. <laughs> and, oh. and the call would be disconnected. And I just thought, okay, fair enough. You know, you can, <laughs> that's a really nice, easy way to leave a session. You don't have to walk out of the door. You don't have to do anything. You just close the lid and the man with the ukulele is gone. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it must have been very different for, for people that either rely more on body language or facial detection and things like that, rather than sonically. Elizabeth, how did you have to adapt well, actually, uh, interestingly enough, I am autistic. And for me, who is uh, verbally inclined and uh, take less contextual information into account and, and less nonverbal information, I remember people saying in the beginning how difficult it was with turn taking and uh, how to do this on Zoom. And I actually found the opposite. I found Zoom to be much more easy because, indeed, it was more verbally and orally, there was more emphasis on that. Uh, that was what you had to work with, mostly. So for me, it worked really well, actually. I felt really like, oh, this is just how I would normally do it. I don't have to adapt so much this time around. Other people have adapted to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <finally. laughs> Which was refreshing in a way. <laughs> and I was thinking also that, you know, maybe I could also give a little bit of an empathy sometimes for different communication styles that, uh, you know, I rely less on body language. Yes, but on the other hand, it, that is balanced up with the fact that I'm more literal. I put more information into the words I'm speaking. And when I speak to people of my own neurotype, normally it goes well. It's not like I am experiencing uh, communicational or social impairment there because uh, <laughs> we speak the same way and we, we mean what we say and uh, conveying information between us is, is highly efficient. It's only when I interact with uh, people who are not of my neurotype from both ends, uh, there are barriers of course. Yes. And yes. Zoom in that case have been really interesting because you have to change a little bit the, the way you do communicate and I think that could be important for everyone to experience. And Dav, how do you think that technology... We've seen there that, you know, it, it's helped to facilitate music making, especially when we can't all be together. Is there a way that you've seen technology, not just video conferencing, but technology in general, enhances creativity? Hmm, enhancing creativity. Yeah, I mean, it can unlock musicality in people who previously haven't been able to show how musical they are. There was a woman that we worked with on Orclab she had quite limited mobility. In fact, she could just move her head from side to side. And we started using a sound beam. And she really liked the fact that she could just move her chin a little bit and create these beautiful scales on a harp or something. We made her her own sound beam, which was called the Sandra beam, because she was called ah, Sandra. And what is a sound beam? A sound beam is basically, it's a musical instrument and it works with an infrared beam. So if you imagine a torch... You don't have to touch it, but there's a beam of light coming out of that torch. The sound beam is essentially a sort of invisible torch. And if you move your hand through the beam, you can play different notes. So you can change the type of scale. You can change the instrument. You can change the key very easily. You can change the range, which means that someone could move their head a tiny bit and play three octaves. Someone could run across a room and play a few octaves that way. So it's very versatile. We made her her own sound beam and that yeah that definitely unlocked a lot of creativity that she hadn't been able to kind of show off to people it was one of my favorite instruments in the Orc Lab. i was always amazed and mesmerized by the sound beam what it could do and what it offers 
is yes. fantastic and it sounded so great. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful instrument. You know, a classical instrument might be quite unfamiliar or sort of daunting to someone, but an iPad might be really familiar to a young person. They might just think, oh yeah, I'm going to, I know, I know iPads, I'm going to do this. And then they'll start making beautiful music and then that can be a sort of a stepping stone onto to learning the cello. Yeah, I like it. Oh, I can't wait to try the sound beam as well. <laughs> it really intrigued me. And Elizabeth, when you tried the sound beam, did you have to forget what you knew of, you know, your cello and your music making and just almost be free with this new instrument? Or were you using your musical knowledge to play it? I think when you put your hand into that beam, you forget about everything because it's just, (laughs) I think it just plays to all the things that come natural to human being. You know, it's like I see my toddler on the floor, you know, my little son, he he grabs something, he realizes it makes a sound and he goes for it. (laughs) You just stick your hand in there and it's like you become a kid. It's just fun. You move your hand and, and amazing things happen. It's fascinating. And are there any limitations that you see with technology getting involved in music? Well, I mean, all the positive stuff that Dav says, I mean, there's so much amazing things that technology offers us. I mean, in terms of uh, inclusivity, uh, accessibility and new horizons. I mean, all of these things. But I, well, in limitations, I think one thing that I'm a little bit critical of is that we make ourselves very dependent on it. As long as it's there always to enhance us and our creativity, our minds, all of these things, I think it's great. But I think it must never replace our ability to to use our minds, I suppose. I mean, to imagine and, and daydream and uh, just nurture our creativity without any helping uh, things from outside. I mean, to start with from inside. And then all of these things outside are amazing gifts that that we can use obviously but uh, I think um yeah just don't replace the human human first and then technology more than happy yes after that love that human first and Dav you're in technology every day what are some of the limitations that you see with technology being involved in music I really agree with Elizabeth and I think there can be an inclination to sort of shoehorn technology into everything and just think, well, this is going to make it better. But it actually isn't necessarily going to. So it has to have real sort of thought put into it first instead of just going, okay, let's just throw some technology at this situation and and it's going to enhance it. I think it has to serve us rather than we serve technology, if you know Mm. what I mean. I think that's what we mean, no? Are there any times where it's gone wrong? I think we, we've we spent a good time. We know technology can help. It can enhance. It can facilitate. I need some horror stories now for the listeners. Uh, Dav, have you got any experiences where, I don't know, you could be, have been in a session and technology just let you down? Every day. <laughs> <laughs> in some small way, it always lets me down. And it's always at the worst possible time. You know, actually, we bought some speakers a while ago that we didn't realize have this auto switch off feature that you, you can't change that. If no sound goes through it for a few minutes, it just turns itself off and it makes this sort of bing bong kind of sound. 
And there have been loads of times in workshops where it's, we're, we're maybe recording a piece that we've created and I'll just, somewhere in the room, I'll hear this bing bong and then I know that someone's speaker is turned off, which means that if they play their iPad, we're not going to hear it. And then I'll have to run around <laughs> and find which one it find is. Find the bing bong. <laughs> I just end up, that sound just drives me absolutely bonkers now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's funny, but it's annoying. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Elizabeth, have there been any experiences, especially in the orchestral setting? Yes. Where technology uh, is just... Yes. Um, well, there, there has been one time where the whole uh, hall got completely black. <laughs> no one could see anything. But I think one, one time which was quite uh, a little bit more cringy was when we were having an audiovisual performance of, I think it was the Brief Encounter, the film Brief Encounter. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it starts with this whole massive opening of the orchestra leading up to when the film is about to start and the film started and there was absolutely no sound <laughs> just complete silence we had to stop my husband who was a stage and transport manager at the time had to come out on stage and uh, say that we were experiencing some technical difficulties the conductor had to be removed off stage five to ten minutes past we sat there on stage had no idea what was going on whilst the backstage crew was frantically trying to find out what was wrong because we had had um we had had a technical test uh, just before like a tech rehearsal yeah a sound check <laughs> it's called sound check I've been gone way too long and <laughs> they finally found that one of the amplifier plugs backstage had been pulled out and one of the musicians phones were charging in it <laughs> So, oh no! So we all know that you know, that, yeah. So <laughs> that is one of the issues with technology. We constantly need to charge things. We need it sometimes in the worst possible moments. But that plug was definitely like that one should have left alone. So we had to start over the whole thing again and play that whole huge intro once more. <laughs> for uh, yes, so that that was a little bit of a of a messy uh, experience. But uh, well, we got there in the end. So. And did they know whose phone it was? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> because, you know, of course, we've had stories of people's phones going off during performances and things. I mean, and uh, yeah, you would know if, if that was you, wouldn't you? <laughs> Well, hearing the fantastic initiatives that you've been a part of and the work that you you do, keep on doing the, the wonderful things you're doing to bring music to all. And thank you so much to you both, Elizabeth and Dav, for sharing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Elizabeth Vicklander and Dav Scheel for uncovering the many uses of technology in the orchestra and in music, for their music making and teaching and those horror stories as well. It's not an LPO Offstage podcast without them. Well, please get in touch on social media, Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage, where we'll be finding out all there is to know about the triangle. I'll see you then. Thank you.